everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Oh, thanks. Um, good to be back. Good to be back. So uh, we're starting a brand new series uh, that we are looking at. I don't know how long it's going to take uh, because there's like 48 chapters in this book. Um, so uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll go into 2023, 2024. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. No, we'll work through it quick. But we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we, uh, we're going to look at that because um, there's some really, really amazing, interesting um, things that happen in that book uh, of Ezekiel uh, that I think are so important. It really, I think too, especially, um, you know, in, in this day and age, we could really use, you know, sort of like a, like a refreshing spirit. We could, all of us could really use something that really kind of just like shoots and jolts our faith a little bit. And, and I think that's really kind of where we're at right now in, in, in church world and, and not only just in church world, but uh, in culture in general. Um, and so if you feel like you got like, you're a little dry in your faith, uh, this is going to be a good series for you. If you feel like, and no, nobody would admit this, um, but if you feel like you're sort of like have a hard heart right now, like you're just kind of like, I, I just don't know, you know, kind of where I'm at with, with this thing, you know, of following Jesus, you know, you're kind of, your heart's hardened, uh, you're a little cynical, um, it, which is, again, understandable because of just the way that the culture is today. Um, as a matter of fact, I just, uh, we just did some flying recently. And, and so uh, you, you can imagine um, before the pandemic, before the pandemic, there were in like in 2019, for example, there was 10 airline incidences. What I mean by that was is that people were disgruntled, they, they were upset, and so where the airline had to literally turn around and send the person, kick the person or the people off the plane. In 2019, there were 10. In, 2000, in 2020, there was 500. 500 <laughs> incidents. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then this year, so far, so far this year, there's 350, 350 incidences. So, so just so you can imagine that people, we're, you know, we're a little cynical right now. We're a little irritable. Um, and we could use a little bit of jolt, right, in our, in our faith and in, 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 in being encouraged. So, so that's what Ezekiel's about. Uh, it's just about understanding how to soften our hearts uh, and how to not have those, that those dry times in our life and our faith and be refreshed, okay? That's what, that's what it's all about. So 70 times, 70 times in Ezekiel, here's what it says. You will know that I am the Lord. 70 times in this book, he says, God says, you will know you will know that I am the Lord. So I figure, man, if, if he tells us that 70 times, man, by the end of this, I hope that you have that confidence, that your, your heart is softened, you, your faith is, is refreshed and renewed, and when, when we you know, leave this, this series and move on to something else, you will know, you will know that he is, he is the Lord. So Ezekiel, he was, at this time, Ezekiel, um, which means, his name means God strengthens. So again, this is what this is about. It's about being strengthened in, in your faith. God strengthens. The, he's in his 30s uh, when, at the time he begins to, to write. He's uh, in captivity uh, in Babylon. We talked about that uh, through our Haggai series. In our Haggai series, uh, this was post 
Babylonian captivity. Um, Ezekiel were sort of taking, going backwards and and seeing that they, at this time, they're in captivity in Babylon. Ezekiel's there. He's he's in his in his in his 30s, and and he's a he's a he's a um, husband. He's a homeowner, and and God, he's also a priest that God is now asking to become a prophet. Okay, he was a he was a priest priest that was his occupation. Now God's saying to him, listen, I, I need you to you know put aside your priestly duties, and I need you to become a prophet, and I need you to speak to my people as they're going through these dry periods, as they're going through these times where they have hardened hearts. My people need to be strengthened, Ezekiel, and I want to send you send you to strengthen my people. And so Ezekiel says, all right, I'll, I'll heed that call. That's what I'll do. Now, God did tell Ezekiel to do some pretty embarrassing things. And so if, you, if you've read Ezekiel, if you know anything about Ezekiel, you'll know that there are some things that, that God asked Ezekiel to do that were very, very hard, very difficult, very embarrassing, and, and we'll look at this uh, at some point, to do something that was very heartbreaking, very heartbreaking. And you know how much I love object lessons. Uh, God used Ezekiel to do, to do these types of things, these kind of object lessons, these visual displays that Ezekiel would have to do personally to show a picture of or to illustrate what God wanted to, uh, his people to know and how they could be strengthened. So chapter one begins with Ezekiel getting a vision Okay, now we're also going to look at some crazy things. Okay, these are things if you're like exploring Christianity, exploring faith, and, and you've been maybe a little hesitant about it. These are maybe the, some of the things that you're like, uh, oh, this seems kind of strange. It seems a little unbelievable. I don't know if that's you in this crowd or not, but some of these things that we see in Ezekiel, these are, these are hard things to believe, but they're, they're true. They're, they're real. They exist and they, they happened. Um, but I understand why uh, you would, you would you know, feel the way that you feel. So Ezekiel gets this vision and this is what he sees. Okay, We're, we're going to pick it up in Ezekiel 1.10. As for the form of their faces, so, so Ezekiel sees this, this image, this, this visual uh, of something. And he describes it in this way. He says, as, the form, as for the form of their faces, each had a human face. All four had the face of a lion, and on the right, and on the, in the face of an ox on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. And so Ezekiel gets this crazy vision of this being, okay? And so what we know, know if you know uh, your, your Bible, or you know, there was... There's also these types of angels that God created. And what, we, what Ezekiel is essentially looking at, he's looking at a, a cherubim, uh, which was a type of, of angel, which had a, a human face, it had a lion face, it had an ox face, and it has an eagle face. Face that was in its picture of a cherubim. If you um, if you remember in, in the Genesis when you know God needed a, an angel to guard the tree of life, you know after Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, you know that was a cherubim that God placed. It was a, a cherub that God put as to guard the tree 
of life. Um, some other interesting facts about is when we look at Revelation, John had a vision. John had a vision of, of heaven, and he saw the throne room of God. He saw the, the glory of God in the throne room, and he saw this vision of, the, of what, what, what is described as what, what, of what Ezekiel saw, these cherubs, okay, that were worshiping God. They were, they're all about glory of God. They're all about guarding the, the, the praise and the glory and the presence of God. That's what their, their created job was. Another interesting fact, and we'll maybe get to it, is that Lucifer, Lucifer, also known as Satan or the devil, right, okay, the liar, he was a cherub, Okay, that was his, his responsibility. That was his created being was, was it. He was a cherub. And so this is what essentially what Ezekiel is, is seeing. But anytime we see these things, they're all to describe, they're all figurative to describe characteristics of God. So whenever we see these things like a face of a human, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, they're all characteristics. God created everything to describe him. God created everything to, to point to him. And so they use what we see here is their figurative examples, their figurative descriptions of who God is and the character of God. Jesus did this all the time. Jesus, you know, would say that I am a good shepherd, okay? It was a figurative. Was Jesus actually a shepherd? No. It was a figurative speech. Figurative speech. Jesus would say, I'm the bread of life, right? Was Jesus actually bread? No, he was just show, describing, it was a figure of speech, the way he was describing himself that I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, right? This is a way that he would describe himself. I am the, the door, right? I am the vine. Now, is he actually a door? Is he actually a vine? No, these are all figurative language to describe the characteristics of God. And so Ezekiel sees God. He sees God and he sees who God is and that strengthened Ezekiel and that hope that it strengthens us today. So to go from there, 2 Corinthians says this, talking about you and I, okay? He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts, okay? So he says, just like God shined, you know, light into darkness and let there be light, just as a God did that, you know, in, in the beginning, he says, is the one who has shined his lights into our hearts. For what purpose? Well, he says, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And so we too, in a, in, in a sense, are to show in the face of Jesus a world that needs to see God, that we are a people of God that God wants to demonstrate and God wants to exhibit so that people see God. And so the way that he did that was he shined his light into our heart to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so what Paul is writing here, he's saying, listen, and he's, he's addressing different people. He's addressing the Jewish people, the Hebrew people who were infatuated 
with light. That's why Jesus said, listen, you are the light of the world. Why? Because the, the Jewish people were infatuated with the idea of light. And so Paul, as he's writing this, is saying, listen, just like how God shined in your heart to give you light, the Jewish people are like, yeah, we get that. We understand that. He's not only talking to Jewish people, but he's also talking to Greeks. Greeks. And the thing about Greeks were that they loved knowledge. They loved information. So Paul's saying, listen, he's shined in our hearts to give us light, for you to give light. And to the Greeks, he says, for you to give knowledge of the glory. Now, who is infatuated with glory? Romans were infatuated with. So he's, Paul's addressing Jews. He's addressing Greeks. He's addressing Romans. He's saying, listen, light, you give light, you give knowledge, you give glory, if you're talking to the Romans, in the face of Christ. Now, if he was talking to you and to I, and to you and to me, he would say, Westerners or Americans, he would say that God has shined light into darkness. He's the one who's shown in our hearts to, not, to give to us, he would say, to give freedom, to give freedom that resonates with us. So what resonated with Jews was light. What resonated with Greeks was knowledge. What resonated with Romans was glory. And what resonates with us Westerners, with us Americans, is freedom. So freedom. So this is what he has done. So here's what I call the four faces of faith, or the four faces of faith, or, or in other words, the four faces to freedom, the four faces to freedom, okay? Here he gives a description of the characteristics of God, and these four faces of faith will give us freedom in our life. So first face is the human face, okay? The human face. All of us can relate to being a human, I think. All of us can understand what that means. What does it mean to be a human? Well, here's what it means. For, hopefully, here's what it means to you, and here's what it means to God, okay? Here's Genesis 1.27 says, for, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he, he created them. You and I are created and made in the image of God. You look like God. You're, and what's so distinct about us is the fact of our humanity that is so different than any other thing created. Any other thing, angels, animals, whatever. Any other thing created is you and I are made in the image of God. We look like God. That's why the enemy hates you so much. It's because you remind him of God. When God sees you, he says, that looks like the creator. I want them to be destroyed. I want to steal. I want to kill. And I want to destroy. Why? Because they, you look like him. You were created in his image. Every person, every human being was made in the image of God and we should treat humans as if they're made in the image of God. Let me say that again. We should treat each other as if we're made in the image of God because that's the way that we are. All of us 
as humans, have something unique as well that no other created thing has. That there's a void inside of us. No other created thing has what we have. All other creations, they, for the most part, have a body. All other created things have a soul. They all have that. We have a body. We have a soul. What most, what only humans have that, that all other created things don't have is a spirit. We have a body. Most things do. A soul. Most things do. But we have what most things don't have and that's a spirit. And that spirit is that spiritual thing inside of you that realizes that you were made for more. You were made for more. And as humans, we try to fill that void with other things. We try to fill it with substance or relationships or whatever you know, that is that you think that will bring you fulfillment or happiness in, in your life. And we try to fill that with that. And, 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 and the only thing that can fill that void is Jesus. As a matter of fact, Solomon, one of the wisest persons, people that ever walked this earth outside of Jesus, said, said it this way. He said in Ecclesiastes, 3.11, he has made everything appropriate in its time and he has also set eternity in their heart without the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. In other words, God has placed in your hearts, in all of human hearts, the idea of we know that there's more. We know that there's more. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not a Jesus follower. So in other words, the person that you work with that looks like God also has that eternity set in their heart that they're trying to find something to fill that with. You with me? They're trying to find the, that thing that will supplement that void that only only can be filled by Jesus. That's it. And so all of us have that. It's what makes us human. It's what makes us human. Lions don't have that. Eagles don't have that. Ox don't have that. Your dog, your favorite dog or cat doesn't have that. It's what makes you unique. In that way. Another thing about humanity that you already know is that it's brief and it's hard. Do you know that? <laughs> it's brief and it's hard. Psalm 90, I've shared this before, I shared a lot. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or of due to strength 80 years, yet their pride, in other words, the best times or the best parts of our life, yet their pride is only trouble. And tragedy. Anybody feel that? Like, I love other versions say, yet their best parts of their life are labor and sorrow. Labor and sorrow. It's like, uh, I mean, there's, we have glimpses of, of goodnesses of life. We have glimpses of beauty and glimpses of, 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 of things that we just enjoy and make us laugh and smile. But, but, yeah, the, for the most part, the best days of our life are, 
are trouble and tragedy. And he says, for it quickly passes and we disappear. Or I love the King James Version, and we fly away, right? And we fly away. That's our life. Trouble, tragedy, all of us have a void. We're made in the image of God. And here's what you also already know about you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. Everyone. No one is exempt from sin. No one. For all have sinned. And it's that void inside of us. And it's those urges that we have that are natural urges to make us want to do things outside of the plan of God and outside of the will of God and the purposes of God. And it's because we all are born and infected with, with sin. And as a result of that, we've fallen short of the glory of God. But there's good news. Do you know the good news? Here's what the Hebrew writer says is the good news. Therefore, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, we're children, we have flesh and blood, right? He himself likewise also partook of the same so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So the good news is, and here's, here's the other thing if you're exploring Christianity. This is so unique to any other faith. Christianity is the only faith that can claim that God left his place in heaven to come to this earth and to put on flesh and blood likewise to you and to me so that he can die, so that he can destroy the one who has the power over death. Isn't that good news? He goes on to say this, and free those, there's our word, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He says in verse 17, therefore in all things he is to be made like his brothers, which is us, his brothers and sisters, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to, to make, uh-oh, don't lose, I want to lose you here, propitiation. <laughs> you're like checked out. You're like, what? I don't, now you're talking Bible terms. Propitiation. I just like saying propitiation. <laughs> propitiation means to appease a God, to appease a God, to pay a debt for the sins of the people. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus is, came to be human, to understand brevity and depravity for you and me, for our sin for our shame, for our broken, to, to fill that void that is inside of you 
that was set in our hearts so that we can experience, actually experience eternity. And he did that because he loves you. He did that because you look like him. You're his children. You're his brothers and you're his sisters. And he has made propitiation for our sins because of that. And not only that, it gets, it gets oh, let's just keep reading. <laughs> for since he himself became human, he himself became human. He, he felt the pain. He felt the sorrow. He felt the, the rejection. He, fe- he feels the grief. He feels the loss. He felt the anxiety. He knew temptation. You know, the human experience. You know, labor, sorrow, tragedy, trouble. He feels that. He felt that. And so since he himself was tempted, and for he himself was felt trouble, for he himself felt pain, for he himself felt rejection, for he himself felt abandoned, for he himself felt loss and grief and shame and guilt. He felt all of those things. He is able to come to the aid of those who feel and experience those two. No other faith can make that claim that God Almighty came and he took on flesh and blood and he took on the experiences that you and I experience on a day-to-day basis in order for him to, on a day-to-day basis, come to your aid. That's worth a clap, everybody. That's worth it. That's him. Just to wake you up. Come on, come on. I know it. Fourth weekend. Come on, let's go. Let's get into this a little bit. All right? Help me out, will you? He did that. He became human to experience your human. Isn't that, isn't that good to know? Like, isn't that good? Like, you go through hardship, and maybe you're that kind of person that likes to talk to your animal. But I got news for you. They don't actually understand what you're talking about. No, I'm sorry. I know. I hate to break it to you. I know. Yeah, all right, good. Let's see. We'll, I'll, we'll talk this through. We'll work this out. All I'm saying, you keep believing that, fine. Fine. But all I'm saying is talking to a human that has experienced what you're going through is better. Okay. If it makes you feel better to talk to Sparky, keep talking to Sparky. 
All right. That got a clap. That got a clap. Jesus came, became human for you. Amen. No, okay. <laughs> Knock it off. Now, now you're just patronizing me. All right, all right, all right. We got to move on. We got three more faces to get to. The second face is a lion. He's a lion. Figurative, right? Figurative. We, we know this because of Revelation 5, 5. says that, And the one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. Freedom, right? Freedom, right? Freedom. All of us, all of us have in us, because we're made in the image of God and we have the handprint of God, all of us in us have some lion in us. Because we come from the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. I had my lion moment when I was in Disney World and um, we were at the one of the parks and we saw the display of Lion King. You've seen the movie. You know the songs. And we had, so I decided that, which was a mistake, to pick up my, my 16-year-old son and, and do the Simba. That was the best, the best I could get out of that. They, I was sore the rest of the day um, in lots of pain. No, all of us have, take it down, take it down, take it down. All of us have a lion inside of us. And here's what you need to know about the lion of Judah, though. Here's what you need to know. Now, you, you, you've maybe grown up and you've read the books, you know, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Are you familiar with this, these books? There's a, there's a great interaction be, we, between, I know this, these, are, these are books, Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and Susan and Lucy, remember, remember this? And, and so they were getting ready to meet the king, right? They were getting ready to meet the king. And Susan or, or Lucy, I'm not sure which one, asked Mrs. Beaver, isn't, isn't he a man? And here's the response. Aslan, a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is... The king of the woods, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Goes on to say this. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Look what, says, look what he says, she says next. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mr. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course, 
he isn't safe. But he's good. But he's good. Of course, he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You know what our image of Jesus is sometimes? Little seven pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. And then we see, oh, cute little 12 year old Jesus getting away from his parents and running around in the temple and blowing the minds of the temple leaders, right? The religious leaders. And then we get Jesus in his 30s and we see the pictures. You know, what I'm, you know the pictures that I'm talking about. Blonde hair, wavy, blue eyes, white teeth, no dirt on his cloak or whatever they wore there. You know what I'm talking about? Holding a lamb. And we're like, oh, I'm the lamb and he's holding us. That's a bad picture of Jesus. Is he safe? No. But he's good. And he's your king. He's your king. He's not the one who, oh, just gonna serve me and call on him whenever I need it and he's gonna come and he's gonna take care of everything. He's gonna make everything go away. No, no, no. He's your king. He's your king. Your loyalty is to King Jesus. Your allegiance is to King Jesus. He's the Lord. He's your Lord. No one else. Nothing else. He's the one that you'll answer to. Is he safe? No. Because when Jesus said, you want to come after me? You want to follow me? Okay. You got to deny yourself and you got to take up your cross and you got to follow me. Is he safe? No. Anybody that was ever anything that made a difference in the scripture, you know what they didn't do? They didn't play it safe. They didn't play it safe. Too much in Christianity today, too much in Christian culture today is just playing it safe. You know why? Oh, because we just see seven pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. We just see 12 year old Jesus scurrying around. We see 30 year old Jesus with his beautiful blonde hair and his blue eyes and his white teeth. That's not who he is. He's your king. He's your Lord. And one day, he's coming back again. First time, he came as a lamb who would be slain for the sins of the world. The next time he comes back again, soon, he's coming back as a roaring lion. He, that's what he's coming back. Okay. Revelation says it this way. When he comes back again on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. 
King of kings, Lord of lords. If he's your king, if he's your king, we've got to stop playing it safe. This is more than just gathering on a Sunday morning at 1030. If all your faith is, is this, you're playing it safe. Your wallets aren't safe if you're following Jesus. Your life, what God has called you to do is not safe if you're following Jesus. Your decisions, your choices, your moral behavior, your actions and mine are not safe if you're following Jesus, if he's actually your king of kings and Lord of lords. The other characteristic of God that hopefully strengthens you, that's what the point is, right? Is he's an ox. He's an ox. An ox is some, an animal that their responsibility was just to carry the burden, to carry the burden. I didn't bring it with me, I forgot it, but I was, um, remember a few weeks, I don't know if you were here, but if you, I told a story about when I was in the Philippines and we were gonna build um, a foundation of homes in the Philippines and we needed the tools, the supplies, and, and, the, and one of them pulled me off to the side and said, um, the ox didn't show up. Do you remember this? The ox didn't show up, the ox didn't show up. And so I, I was like, I've never been so discouraged about hearing that statement before, an ox didn't show up. So um, I did a, a, a wedding for a couple in our church and that following weekend, and they, they gave me as a wedding gift a little toy ox. And they said, <laughs> I, 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 it's in my office, I forgot to grab it. They gave me a little toy ox that said, we hope that you're never discouraged again. And here they, they gave me this little toy ox. So the ox was, is a picture of, the ox, the picture of bearing, bearing weight, carrying the burden, serving, serving. That's what, that's what, so the way that the, of the, Paul wrote it in Philippians, he says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And then he says, verse seven, he says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant. That's what an ox would do. The ox would serve, bear the weight. And being born in the likeness of a man and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is like an ox in the sense that he carried your burden and he carried mine to the point of humbling himself and being obedient to death on a Roman cross. That's carrying your weight. Jesus also describes himself in an ox in this way. He says this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says this, 
Take my yoke. You see, ox would wear yoke, and he would say, I'm wearing a yoke, and I want to be yoked with you. I want to be you to be joined in with in me and on my yoke. So he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I am gentle. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, verse 30, for my yoke is comfortable, and my burden is light. Aren't you glad that, that, that God says, listen, listen, I'm going to come to this earth. I'm going to be a servant to you. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to take on death for you. I'm going to be the propitiation. I can't, I just can't say that enough. I'm going to be the propitiation for your sins. He says, come on, come on, come on. Listen, listen. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to yoke with me in that? My yoke is comfortable. No No other thing in this world, no other yoke in this world is comfortable. It doesn't fit. It's only burdensome. He says, but my burden is light. My burden is light. He says, come on, I want you to come. If you want rest for your soul, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't need that right now, right? He said, come on. I want to be your ox. I want to be your ox and I want you to find rest in me. Let's skip to the last one, William, Neva, eagle, the eagle. The eagle, actually God describes himself an eagle to the nation of Israel. He says, you know, when I delivered you out of Egypt, when I delivered you out of captivity, when I delivered you out of oppression, he says that you were, you jumped on my wings like an eagle, he says, And I delivered you out. I carried you out. And God says, listen, I want you to understand that that he wants to continue to do that for us. You probably are familiar with this verse, especially if you've been a Christian for a while. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. You and I do, right? You and I do. That's why Jesus said, come on, you're tired, you're weary, you're burdened. Come on, come on, come on to me. I'll give you rest for your soul. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find it in anything else. You, you want to you find rest for your soul? You, come on, you come to me. And then, and then Isaiah just says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't become weary. He's not tired. His understandings are unsearchable. And then he goes on to say this. He gives strength to the weary. And to the one who lacks might, he increases power. And then he says this, verse 30. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Have you ever seen this? I don't care how young you are. You get tired. You grow weary. I don't care how young you are. You stumble bad. At times, he says this, verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You know what's interesting about eagles? 
They have long wings that stretch some over seven feet long. But they have small hearts that they easily get fatigued. You ever see like a duck trying to get to a pond? It just seems like it's like, ah! You ever see that? Well, eagles that you just see, if you see visuals or images of eagles, they're not like flapping around like ducks. No, they're, they're soaring. They're soaring. And they, they've learned that they've, they have to do that. And the way that they're able to, to soar like they do because they have to do it. Because if they were just flapping around like this, they would, they would get tired, they would get fatigued, and they wouldn't be able to soar like they do. And they can, they can soar up to, some say, you know, 10,000 feet, almost 15,000 feet high. And they can soar for miles. Some say up to 50 miles they can just, they can soar. And the reason why they can do that is because they wait for something unseen. They wait what's, for what's called a thermal current. A thermal current. And they have to. Because they're made, they're built to just get tired if they try to do it on their own. If they try to do it on their own. Are you hear me? You hear me? If you try to do it on your own, you're gonna get tired. So they wait, they wait for something that they can't see called a thermal current. And then they jump and then they flap and then they catch this invisible heat thermal current that rises them up to 10,000 feet plus and they're able to use that thermal current to soar above heights that people can't even imagine and it's almost effortless. And God's going, you, you, I don't care how young you are, you're gonna grow weary and you're gonna get tired. But those who wait for the word, the, 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 the wait for God, wait for the Lord, and wait for the Holy Spirit, and to catch that Holy Spirit current, you'll be able to soar. You'll be able to go the distance. You'll be able to get to heights unimaginable when it comes to your faith. And you won't get weary as you would if you were just trying to do it yourself. Do it on your own. So Isaiah is saying, hey, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And you will gain new strength. And you will mount up wings like eagles. You will run and not get tired. You will walk and not become weary. This is who God is. These are the four faces of freedom that will strengthen your faith. He, is, he became human for you and me. 
He is your king. He's your lion king. He's an ox that will carry your burdens. He's an eagle that you can get on his wings and run and not get tired and walk and not become weary. I hope that this series strengthens your faith and it softens your heart and it brings new, fresh life to those dry bones. Let's pray. Father, that image for us is to strengthen us, to encourage us, to give us perspective. You became human for us. You can sympathize. You sympathize with our weakness. So unique. No other faith can claim that. You're a lion. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. Our allegiance is to you, King Jesus. Are you safe? No. But you are good. God, I pray, though, that we don't play it safe. That we're not followers that play it safe. But we're fearless, courageous, bold. God, we're like ox who are willing to bear one another's burdens, serve others, take on the weight. And Lord, if when we're tired and we're weary, we can come to you and your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And you give us wings like eagles to soar to heights that we've never been before in our faith. And it's not by our strength and it's not by our power, but it's by your spirit that gives us that current to be able to soar to those heights with you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.